So we're going to talk tonight, it's going to be perhaps a little bit of a discovery about the things that are going on in the world around us and how, uh, how these factors, how we may not be feeling those factors, but there are, uh, is a statistical epidemic that is going on in the world around us, I believe, opening the door for communities like ours to become valuable resources to the community that is their town or their area, their city or whatever. As we begin to discover that, if we can get beyond some of our, you know, the things that we're maybe doing that aren't necessarily good, wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be celebrated uh, by some people, but instead if we can focus on the fact that what we are doing and how we are doing it is enormously valuable for for the lives of people around us. The teaching tonight, I refer to it as the silent scream uh, simply because of the, the issue that we're going to tackle. So let me just jump into it. Uh, first of all, let's start off by talking that there are two primal fears that every human being has. Those fears, uh, we're born in a sense, we're born with them, but we weren't intended to have them. But each one of us are born with these two fears. One of them is a fear for our own survival. Uh, t- uh, typically there, we would define it as a, uh, a need for resources, provision, if you want to say it that way. Uh, the other one is a need for protection. Uh, and so everybody kind of, we've talked a lot about those type of things as they have molded and shaped us as human beings, uh, intending on grappling, getting a hold of how am I going to be provided for and how am I going to be protected? But where we're really going uh, from here uh, in this teaching, and I think over the next little while, is really to discover uh, the second primal fear that we have, and that is the fear of being alone. And we're going to try and unpack that a little bit. I think the fear of being alone is much more significant to a human being than even their survival, uh, their desire to have the survival pieces fixed. The reason that I say that is because, you know, we had the, the, the Light City School of Ministry team out on our annual hike that we do. We kind of, you know, see if, if we see if we can get them to quit the first day kind of thing, you know. And so, but one of the things I noticed, the area that we were going through, everybody was kind of talking about, you know, high grass and weeds around us, pathways, you know, we sort of felt a little bit like we were uh, in a movie about what it was like to be in Vietnam or these kind of places. And, you know, and everybody was joking along and all that. And so the, the observation that was dawning on me was that pro- probably we felt like that uh, because we were together in a group. I mean, if there would have been one of us by ourselves and we had to deal with all of the things that were along that pathway, even though we were, you know, we weren't, I don't think we were two miles from the nearest Starbucks at the time. So it wasn't like we were out in Siberia or out in a jungle somewhere. Uh, But nevertheless, the challenges that we had to face along the way were made almost insignificant. We're laughing about it, you know, ha ha, what if a snake jumped out of the bush and, you know, ha ha. But can I tell you why we felt like that was because we were together. And so when you talk about it hierarchically, you want to look at which one, either the fear of not surviving or the fear of being alone, which one trumps the other one. And so you notice that I would rather not have food than be alone. I could tell because when I'm in a group, the fears of provision and protection go down. So the, 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 the fear of being alone actually trumps the fear of not having enough or being hurt or being injured or dying. 
And so when we realize that, we, we, all of a sudden we take this concept, this fear of being alone, and we get take, I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody talk about this thing called loneliness. And this, I'll share them in a minute. Statistically, this has become a significant problem. But it's a completely silent problem, given that the people who have this loneliness problem are lonely. They're by themselves. And, so, and then we come along in Genesis chapter 2 now, and we see, as you take a look there, if you've got your Bibles open, in verse 18, it said, now, God had gone along for a while, and he was, you know, working with Adam a little bit, you know, don't eat of the tree, and you know, giving him a couple of rules. And then God said, that, God said, it is not good. That's the first time, as far as our record, that's the first time that God ever referred to it, something as not good. And you wonder to yourself, wow, I wonder what it is that God saw that was not good. Everybody knows where you are in scripture, I think. It says it was not good for man, human, to be alone. And we recognize something here that inside then, when God says something like that, we can recognize that inside of our human being, inside of our mechanism, God recognized that the one thing, the first thing he recognized that wasn't good was that man would be alone. And he goes on then, and it's kind of interesting if you go on in the scripture there, God then, he doesn't create a, a woman at that point, interestingly, he starts to parade before man, uh, Adam, original Adam. He starts to parade before Adam all the animals. <laughs> and so it's kind of interesting that God would do that. It's not good for him to be good, so let's try a cat. Uh, definitely the cat didn't work. He tried something else, didn't work. Tried something else, that didn't work. Tried something else, that didn't work. And he paraded literally all the soul-bearing creatures in front of Adam, and not one of them was good enough. You can't get this from your dog. You can't get this from your cat. You can't get it from a horse. You can't get it from anything. I think you can get it from a motorcycle, but no, I'm still working on that one. No, no, you got to get it from another human being. It's that connection that we create when we are not alone. And how important it is when we take a look at it from a scriptural perspective, the fact that it comes first is significant. It's not just, oh, look at that interesting coincidence. No, nothing God says is a coincidence. And so now we can see that as God focused on that, he solved the problem by bringing another human being into Adam's life. We realize then that our purpose is to be together. Our God-designed purpose is to be together. And it's interesting you know, I was, I've, I've done some science, looking at the science of this, but how many of you know that when you are in a bed by yourself, you can get cold? But when you're in the bed with somebody else, hopefully your spouse, you don't, you don't get cold. Just the dynamics of two people being sleeping together in a bed, there is a dynamic that works there that prevents those, the two people from getting cold. That same thing, when you look at it on a natural level, happens when we are in proximity to each other's with our souls. And we recognize this as a lot of references to this in scripture, but the word that came to me as to what was the benefit of it? Like, what does it actually do? The word resilience came to my mind. 
And so I looked up the word resilience because I'm looking at how does, what actually happens to us as human beings when we gather into a community together? What is that dynamic force that happens in our soul? It creates a resilience. Listen to the definition of resilience. The capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and toughness. The ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape and the ability to remain true to form under pressure. Here's some words for you. Durability, the ability to last, the strength, sturdiness, toughness, strength of character, strength, toughness, hardiness, adaptability, buoyancy, flexibility, the ability to bounce back. All those things happening be just because we spend a lot of time charging our batteries, our soul batteries, by being in proximity of other people, not just any other people, of course, we could, we'll talk about that as we go through the month, but the people that are for us, people that are on our side, people that we can count on, people that know us and care about us. We don't even have to be talking about any, doing anything, just that we are with those people. I, there's a mechanism of recharging that goes on inside of our soul, causing us to become stronger and stronger and stronger, more resilient at every turn. And we see this in scripture. There's examples, and we, you know we can read through the scriptures, and sometimes as you read through the scriptures, you take a lot for granted. And you think, well, they're doing that particular thing, but yeah, we kind of do that now. And you wonder, yeah, we don't do a lot of this stuff. As a culture, we are not a gathered together culture, unless there's a Bills game or something like that. We're not really a gathered together culture. We are an individualistic culture. We're kind of like every man for himself. Instead of recognizing the value of being in a community of people that really care about us and really desire to know us and to be known by us. And so we look, we look at that. So let's take a look at it in scripture. We, we, we hear about families in scripture and we think families in scripture are like families today. They were not. When you had a family, uh, you created, out of a family, you created a tribe and that tribe stayed together. You didn't fly around the world and live in seven, on seven different continents like we do, you know, connected by a telephone line or, or a, a Facebook or something like that. We lived in those days when they talk about families, families would literally live, if it was a tent family or some kind of thing like that, they would live in a circle no bigger than this room. And they would stay together. That was part of the way culture was a barbaric world. There wasn't a lot of security things. So man, your family was your security. Your family was your provision. Your family created that sense of belonging to something. You were not all out there by yourself. We talk about the armies, you know, armies by their very nature are not one person. There's a, there's a problem that they're trying to go solve. They don't go one time, they're one person, you know, do, they go together. And there's a troop of them that go. We see the schools of prophets, these type of things where there's a whole a group of people, not just Elijah, but Elijah had a whole bunch of posse with them. We see that there's disciples, that concept, you know, where there's John's disciples or Jesus's disciples or, you know, those kind of things that was very regular. And we see like teams when Jesus would send people out, he did not send them out alone. They did not go anywhere by themselves. They went out in twos 
And so you recognize, wait a minute, that seems like a weird thing that there, wouldn't we be better? Wouldn't we go faster? Couldn't we help more people? I wonder if Jesus wasn't interested in going fast, as Pastor Alex's favorite quote goes, but in fact, Jesus was interested in going far. And so he said, do not go alone. And so, and even in, if you look at Jesus's life, now that Jesus is pretty, how many think Jesus was a pretty good guy? Like he had it pretty much together. You kind of wonder why did he need disciples? I mean, they got in the way probably more than they helped. Truth be told. But even Jesus, before he even did his first miracle. If you remember the, in John chapter two, the, the, marriage, the marriage feast of Cana, that was Jesus's first miracle, turning the water into wine. But who did he ask to go get the water pots? Sorry? His disciples. He had already got all of his disciples. He wasn't in ministry yet. He wasn't drawn crowds, but he already had drawn together his posse, his disciples. Because he knew, like everybody else knows, that drawing together as a community, as a group of people who are really pulling on the same rope is a super important quality for, for, for longevity, for being able to go far and be able to get done the job that we each desire to get done with our lives. It seems counterproductive that we would take time and hang out with other people. Wouldn't I be better to just go by myself? And that's... That's the, the twisted way that our culture has said to do things. And now we're finding that there are enormously staggering, negative staggering statistics that are saying, this is not working for us. And we need to take a look at another paradigm. Jesus talked about it many times, the power of two. Remember when two of you are gathered together, whatever they ask, right? They will be done for you by my father who is in heaven. He talked about that if, if two or more gather, I'm in the midst of them. He's probably referring to, you know, the thousand, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. Really, the Jesus part of it in the midst of them is the other 8,000. The synergy that you get because you draw together in a, in a group of people, God is in the middle of that because you have drawn together, and now you get an extra 8,000 point bump just because two of you have come together, where there would only have been 2,000, now there is 10,000. That's the synergy, the God in the midst of it, that every one of us can feel on the inside of our souls. I call it the Judas principle. Most people think that Judas failed because he denied Jesus, because he betrayed him, because he sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. But can I tell you something? Peter did pretty much the same thing. You know, the guy who ran the church, did pretty much the same thing. But most of us would say Judas failed because he couldn't do what God asked him to do. He wasn't good enough. He wasn't successful enough. He didn't do it right, and so he failed. Peter must have done it right, and that's why he succeeded, but there's no evidence of that. I'll tell you what there is evidence of is that when Judas failed, he separated himself. He went off by himself. When Peter failed, he gathered together with the disciples. When Jesus came back on the scene, he said, go and tell the disciples, oh, by the way, there'll be a guy right there that I want you to focus on. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. The reason that Peter could succeed, he could get through this terrible experience in his life, 
when one of his compatriots, somebody who had spent just as much time with Jesus, equal, did equally as bad uh, an experience. One failed, one passed. The difference was, did you separate yourself in times of trouble or did you gather together in times of trouble? That's the Judas principle. The 20th century or the 21st century kingdom has an awesome opportunity. The way that we do community in our culture has left a wide open door for the kingdom of God in the hearts of an enormous number of people. We're kind of like a community that's lost. If you look at the statistics, 36 in my age group, 36% of my age group define themselves as lonely. 54% of Gen Z, that's people who have been born after the turn of the millennium, the number has gone up to 54% of Gen Z describe themselves as lonely. That means the younger people, you would think, well, of course, older people, you know, I feel really bad for older people because they're so lonely. That's not the statistic. There's certainly opportunities there. I'm not saying there's not. But the curve is getting worse. The loneliness factor is higher than it has ever been since it's been measured. And it's that way in our world today. Here's some of the ways they describe it. No one actually knows them well. These are quotes from the people who are in that study. No one actually knows me well. So you can say, how many of you have ever said, you know, I feel lonely in a crowd? The reason that you feel lonely in a crowd is because you're maybe surrounded by an enormous sea of people, but you don't know them and they don't know you. So there is a deeper place of community where we actually get to know one another. We get to spend time together. We live our lives together. And by doing that, we have the sense that I know you and you know me. People they know are not actually with them. You know, uh, T.D. Jakes uh, does, has, has a great teaching on this, you know, with the co constituents, comrades, and confidants. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's like a two-minute piece. You should watch it. But he talks about that sometimes people are for you. Uh, they look like they're for you, but they're not really for you. They're for what you're for. Uh, and then th those are the people he refers to as constituents. And a lot of Christianity is like this. We kind of gather together as a, at the church at large because we're kind of for Jesus, but we're not necessarily for each other. And then there's comrades he refers to. He, just, he has a couple of these titles for people. Comrades are those people who are uh, against what you are against. And so you gather together because you are anti this or anti that or anti this or anti that or you're, you're fighting the same fight together. Uh, but remember, when the fight's over, so is the relationship. And so we find that so many times we are in these kind of relationships and we think they are meaningful, deep relationships only to find out that in fact, when either the situation that we were for has changed or the situation that we're against is no longer something we're against, then all of a sudden the relationships evaporate. And he refers to the last group as confidants, people who are close to us. They're not necessarily for what we are for and we're not necessarily against what they're against but they are for us. Uh, you are for me and I am for you. Whatever that would mean, wherever that would go, we're for each other. And that third grouping of people creates this awareness on the inside of us that there is a people who I know and who care about me and who are for me and a people that I care about and that I am for. The dynamic of that is so significant. 
They talk about lack of companionship. They say relationships are not meaningful. You know, we take a look at a lot of that type of thing that goes on in our world today. Kind of, uh, we've been using technology to think we're heading for a utopian world, only to find out that it's more of a dystopian world because the mechanisms that were created to make a connectivity one to another, although they do do that to a, to a small degree, they very quickly become things then that prevent us from having meaningful relationships. We could be sitting, I, you know, you and I have both seen this all the time, maybe two people that are working on having a meaningful relationship together and they can't seem to get to the end of a sentence without hearing ding. And somebody breaks in on their meaningful time in order for them to engage in a non-meaningful time. And all of those things slowly but surely begin to erode even our ability to create meaningful relationships. Most, many, many of the younger generation, one of the criticism of the younger generation is that when they get into social environments and kind of community environments, they're not really sure what they're supposed to do. They haven't really understood, oh my gosh, I've not talked to somebody live before. <laughs> not sure what I should do now, you know? Uh, now that, is, I mean, it's funny, and we older people love to make fun of younger people. We're kind of running out of people to make fun of. They're all younger than us now, you know, but the, the issue more becomes, like, that's a real a consequence of the world, as wonderful a world that we live in. It's a real consequence of, uh, you know, technology coming into view, and we're losing sight of what an actual meaningful relationship is and how that creates such a place of strength and resilience, our bounce back ability of facing tough things ability, of coming back to a true form, even after we have been hit with an enormous amount of pressure, man, boom, bam, we're right back in there, ready to go again when we wake up the next day. That resilience is being created by community. Look at these things. Loneliness has the same effect as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The same health effect as smoking, and that was, uh, you know. 92% of the people say they are scared to admit that they are lonely. Two out of three people know someone who is lonely. Seven in 10 know a friend who is. There's a 49% higher risk of death to lonely people than to not people who don't describe themselves as lonely. There's a 59% greater risk of mental and physical decline for people who describe themselves as lonely. Imagine that, it kind of, you lose, you lose it in the numbers, eh? 59%, is that what the number was? 54% describe themselves as lonely. You go into any uh, environment where there are people and you look at them, half of those people that you are looking at at any moment, if they were taking this, that whatever test this was, they would describe themselves as lonely. That's extraordinary. An opportunity, should I say, for those of us in the kingdom of God who are willing to open up our hearts and create community. Create a place where people can come who can be accepted, who can be affirmed, who can be loved, who can be supported, who can just be part of us. And we can have the opportunity to love on them. 
The kingdom in action, I have a, the top five suggestions from the, from the psychiatric group to combat loneliness. And this is a significant issue that these guys are trying to grapple with. These are non-pharma solutions, by the way. They're not pill form. Top five suggestions. How many of you like to know what those top five suggestions are? Number one, you start, start a hobby. Uh, which I, <laughs> I don't think motorcycling helps there because you kind of do that by yourself. Well, no, Tina and I are in the same one. Number two, brilliantly, share a ride, which means like if you're going somewhere, go with somebody. You know, it is really cool because one of the places where you can be non-disturbed by your dings is your, when you're driving because you're not allowed to be disturbed by your dings. So that's a really, it was a really interesting suggestion of theirs. Number three on their list was go to church. And not, this, is not, this, is not a, this is not a church, this is not a church thing. This is the psychiatric, uh, like, you know, uh, advice. If you're struggling with, lo with loneliness, you need to go to church. Benefits of being at church, you sleep better. Less depressed, five times, five times less depression and suicide. And this is the key to it. It's not just going to church. It is going to a church that imagines God as good and loving and learn to trust what can only be imagined. It was a very interesting little, little offtake of this point that, the, that the, what whoever did the blog was talking about. And they were saying that, you know, a lot of times you go to churches or religions and they don't tell you that God is good. They don't tell you that God loves you. There's lots of religions that really don't major on good or love. Uh, but I think ours does. I think, uh, you know, Jesus has, has had a lot to say about that stuff, right? And so, but the ability was that the, 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 where they found the real strength was in the ability to imagine in your situation, in whatever life situation you're in, to imagine, because you cannot see God, you cannot introduce, you know, he's not, he's not flesh and blood. And so most people are, have a difficulty in treating what they imagine as being more real than what they really can t feel, touch, and, you know, science. And he said, environments that teach you how to imagine and put faith or confidence or trust in what you imagine to be true. Those environments specifically are environments where you combat this thing called loneliness. And I can tell you, you combat a lot of other things. But when you can actually begin to develop, and the, 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 they were definitely positive on the fact that you can, re if you don't know how to do that right now, that's okie dokie. You can learn how to do that. To get to the place where what you imagine on the inside of you of this loving heavenly father who is with you, you know, who is always with you, he's always there, he'll always help you when you can build an awareness of that inside of your soul and then really begin to trust, this is a psychiatrist, really begin to trust that that God is real. They were talking about how powerful that was in order to help people deal with depression and suicide. The epidemic here, as many of you may have been, have had this very sad news that since 2000, the suicide rates in, in, uh, our on our continent, 50% higher. They are highest today than they have ever been. 
five, this year alone, half a million Americans, I didn't get stats from Canada, half a million Americans in rural America have committed suicide. You don't hear of these things because we don't publish them unless the person was a celebrity or something like that. We don't publish these kind of things. But this is a significant problem that we're facing. So you get better sleep, you have less depression, you have better marriages, you have a larger social circle, you live longer, which is very, very interesting. You have lower blood pressure. It boosts your immune system. You do better in school and you are happier overall. That's not Ian speaking, although I highly agree. <laughs> this is statistical evidence of tests and, and things that they have done in order to look at what are the benefits that people who go to church, particularly really good churches, I mean, I would think more so in the greatest church, but the... <laughs> The benefits of belonging to a community when it comes to our mental health, our ability, our strength, our resilience, all of those type of things are scientifically proven. The kingdom in action, transforming people's lives. They said what you need to do is volunteer. You could do that here too. And the fifth one is develop meaningful relationships, which I thought a bit redundant in that how do you not be lonely, develop <laughs> relationships. But I believe that what they're referring to is begin to go through and deal with why am I not already in meaningful relationships? What are the things that I deal with in my own life, the things that I'm challenged with, the things that are going on that are, that are preventing me from making real connections with the people that are around me? I think you're, you know, if you take a look at where we are here at Light City with being a church and having all of these great things going on in our physical bodies and our emotional lives and all that, we have amazing opportunities to serve other people where you have volunteers and all of those things where you're just spending a lot of time, not necessarily in a service, sitting in a chair, but having opportunities in a whole bunch of other areas to meet people and just be with them as you hang out together and then an environment that really has the transformational strength to deal with some of these issues that keep us away from the people that are around us, that hold us off in a corner when even people come towards us and say, hey, will you be my friend? All of a sudden it's like, okay, that person's weird. <laughs> you probably should ask yourself, which one of you is weird? Because it's not weird to ask you to be your friend. It's not weird to go and have a coffee together. It's not weird to share our lives together. It's not weird to talk about some of the difficulties that are going on in our lives. And it's not weird to do those things. That's what families have done from the very beginning of time. What's weird is not to share those things. It's to try and pretend that you are the single first human being, that everything has always gone perfectly for you. That's where the problem comes in. And so what we want to do in this situation, develop meaningful relationships. Perhaps we should say it this way. Become the person that's open to meaningful relationships where I am willing to trust. I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm willing to allow you into my life even a little bit and discover how making that connection as a group of people empowers us strengthens us, causes us to be amazingly strong and resilient people. Won't you be my neighbor is a question. Each one of us have to imagine 
who are we going to ask that question to? It's not really looking for, will you come and listen to a, a discussion about the value of community. It's really about, will I become a person that's willing to open my heart? And then if I will, who will I open my heart to? Put your hand over your heart and say this with me. Say, Lord, I'm so willing to see how the kingdom, the community of believers are ready here and now to change the world around us, to reach out to lonely and hurting people, to listen for the silent screams, knowing that the kingdom of God is ready right now to step in and revolutionize their lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.